Hello out there! It's time for the Hockey Minute. Your source for all your hockey news and some opinion. Strap in for the fastest news in the NHL. This episode is proudly brought to you by... Absolutely nobody. We don't have any sponsors. Now here's your hosts, Brandon and Ryan. Hi there and welcome to the show. Today's guest is Dina Weinheimer, hockey writer for the Sinbin.net, covering the Cleveland Monsters, Columbus Blue Jackets, and Tampa Bay Lightning. Well, uh, thanks for coming on, Dina. It's, uh, it's been a long time coming. We've, we've kind of had some scheduling conflicts and, and life gets in the way. How's life going for you right now? Uh, pretty darn good. I mean, honestly, everything considering, um, it gets better every day. Um, I had a bit of a cancer battle over the summer, but um, things are definitely looking up and starting to return to a little bit of a, of a more normal life. So I can't complain. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, I know Brandon sends his best as well. Uh, not on assignment. We've traded him to On the Bench with Beaks for future considerations. So uh, he's off the show. Um, let's let's dive into to you and your background, your love of hockey. I mean, when did you when did you first fall in love with the game? Um, well, as I'm sure a lot of kids that grew up in the '90s could probably attest to, <laughs> um, especially those of us. Like myself, I grew up in Eastern Ohio, so we didn't have a hockey team back in the mid-90s. So my first real exposure was the Mighty Ducks. So I watched (laughs) that movie on the Disney Channel, absolutely fell in love with it. And then whenever, you know, so I started following that a little bit, fell in love with the Tampa Bay Lightning. So they were my first team. And then whenever the Columbus Blue Jackets came around in 2000, I, of course, jumped on that wagon and I've been following them basically ever since. Was there any teams uh, in in Ohio prior to the Blue Jackets? Like I can't imagine they just pumped a team in the market without knowing that there'd be There was the the Columbus Chill and then of course Cleveland had the Barons and there there were some minor league teams but where where I was, I mean I am where I grew up was about 90 minutes east of Columbus very small community so we didn't have anything local that that any of us were able to get to or see on tv or anything like that okay did you have any favorite players growing up too that you enjoyed watching or uh martin san louis okay yeah (laughs) i know he i know he was a little bit later but he was the first player that really resonated with me and that i really enjoyed watching um yeah, I would have to say, I mean, he still to this day is is my, my all-time favorite. Yeah, he was probably, I mean, the Cavalier, I guess, was like, they were calling him the Michael Jordan of hockey when he got drafted, but St. Louis has always, to me, been the first real superstar, right? He had the Conn Smythe, and, or no, sorry, he had, what did he have? Was it the Conn Smythe or the Art Ross? I can't remember which one he won. I think it would probably be quicker to list the trophies that he didn't win, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Never drafted, so I have that in common with him. <laughs> But uh, that's awesome. So, okay, well then, so, I mean, down the road, you, you start getting into sports journalism and, and, I mean, just talk about that that journey into that realm of, of a profession. Like, what, what made you want to get into sports journalism? Well, I actually started in radio um, in my ho- hometown of Coshocton back in about 2000, um, mainly doing just general news, but I also got to cover high school sports and do features on them and things like that. And then I kind of, I got away from it. I went into the medical field for several years and then it just came back to me. You know, it was like, I love journalism. I love 
telling stories. I love getting to know the people behind the, the, the stories and then just getting more ingrained with the Blue Jackets. It just kind of was a natural evolution to go into sports journalism. Um, I started off with a few other uh, hockey-centric websites covering the NHL, but it just it never quite worked out. It was hard getting credentials. Um, it's hard to really break into that as a female. Um, so I always got to kind of put on the bad assignments or just it just wasn't that that, that fulfilling for me. Um, and then I got an opportunity to go cover the Cleveland Monsters in the AHL, Columbus's uh, minor league team, the site called the the Sinbin, and they gave me an amazing opportunity. And I'm heading into my second season now, and I just absolutely love where I'm at. Um, it's a great team to work with um, in terms of Team Sinbin as well as the the Cleveland Monsters. It's an amazing organization. Yeah, you uh, you know you mentioned there being a female in the the sports media. Um, you know, we have Jules on our, our podcast team. I mean, she's a phenomenal writer, does a lot of great stuff with thehockeyminute.com, a uh, ton of research as well. She actually had a question for you. Just what advice would you give to young women trying to break into sports media? My advice, honestly, would just to be, just stay with it. Um, you're going to get a lot of people telling you that they only, I mean, in my personal experience, I only, I had people say, well, we only want men representing us. We don't want women to represent us in the locker room. We don't want women asking the questions. And yes, that is a that is a huge morale drainer. But honestly, just stay with it. I mean, just follow uh, other women in sports. Don't be afraid to ask them questions because they've been there. And a lot of them will actually come back and, and encourage you. I mean, I know I've had a few women reach out to, to me whenever things didn't work out in the first two sites and gave me advice on a how, how, how to keep going. And that's honestly my my only advice. Just trust who you are, work on your journalistic skills, and you'll be you'll get there. Now you d- you did mention the the fact that you know you, you had that kind of morale drainer, and and I just want to maybe ask if I can uh, what the you know how long ago was that when you were hearing feedback like that, and and if it was long enough, do you think that that's changed a little bit? Is there more of a an acceptance nowadays to have? You know, females being such as you said, asking the questions in the post games. I do think that there there has been a a cultural shift. I, I do agree with that. Um, whenever I first went on the other websites covering the NHL, that would have been anywhere from about 2014, 2016, around in that time frame. And then, like I said, last season I came on with with uh, the site that I'm on now. And I think there definitely has has been a cultural shift and there has been a lot more conversations opened, especially this past NHL season about uh, the roles of of women in sports. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, up here in Canada, we've got Cassie Campbell. I think there's Christine Simpson as well, like Jackie Redmond. Like it's it's you're right. It's come a long ways. I mean, obviously, there's still there's always room for for growth in those areas, but I think it is pretty crazy. I know, and, and is it uh, is it Kendall Coyne that she works on NBC now? Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's come a long ways. Um, and you mentioned some of the publications you've worked with, the Sinbin, uh, 
Am I correct that you work as a writer for the Hockey Writers and Last Word on Sports as well? Yes, yes. I work for those covering the Blue Jackets and the Tampa Bay Lightning. So The newly minted Stanley Cup champion, uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. Yes, <laughs> that was... <laughs> Oh, that series was fun to watch. I, I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, what were your thoughts watching? I mean, we, we actually recorded just recently about Tampa and, and how you said, you know, they're kind of like Chicago was in the first half of the decade minus the success, right? And and now to see them kind of get through the, you know, get over the hump, they finally get their cup. Um, is there just that, I mean, Tampa's going to be popping off here. I heard they were doing like a boat parade. Oh, yeah. I mean, just, just before I hopped on to record this with you, I was watching clips that people were posting on social media and Steven Stamkos was sitting on the back of Alex Kalorn's jet ski <laughs> with the cup and they were going down channel side. <laughs> what is this? But yeah, they had the absolute perfect response to last season whenever they got swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets and they were, I mean, people were calling for John Cooper to be let go as coach. They were calling for a lot of the team to just kind of be let go in a fire sale. <laughs> but Julian Breezebaugh did the perfect thing, and he found some some gritty players. He plugged the, those holes in the lineup, and we saw what, what happened there. I mean, they go, they win the cup, and now it's legacy. They're going to be contenders for a long time, as long as they can navigate that, that flat cap, though. That's going to be the <laughs> hard problem. Well, we have a guy who is constantly on our Instagram, huge Tampa Bay fan, who uh, I know is going to listen to this as well. And he's, I mean, he's always on me about how I, I bet against Tampa because I just didn't believe. And granted, I'm a Washington Capitals fan, so it's in my nature to be skeptical of what's supposed to be a good team. But the fact that Tampa is, you're, you're right, I mean, Breezewalk basically inherited, uh, you know, a very good roster, but signing some of those guys, I mean, I think guys like Bogosian and Pat Maroon were making less than a million dollars each. I mean, it was just such a perfect storm. And then they obviously get past Columbus. And that was, I think, uh, mentally probably a huge thing for them as well. Absolutely. Yeah, that was the biggest hurdle. And I know up here in Columbus, there were a lot of people that were excited again for for the rematch. Um, it didn't come out in, in Columbus's favor, but I mean... Like you said, those signings of Bogosian and Maroon and then getting uh, Goodrow and Coleman at the trade deadline. I mean, every game they started that uh, Coleman, Goodrow, or Goodrow and uh, who was it? Sor- was it Gorda or Sorelli that, that Sorelli, centered them? Yeah. One of those two. But they started that, yeah, they started that line every single night. And that line just mowed people over. I mean, that, gosh, those were perfect pickups. Did you have to, uh, I mean, you, you know, you cover both teams. Were you just silently watching, just being professional, or, or did you have a, a you know, preference in terms of that Columbus and Tampa series? Well, oh, we'll cut this out if you don't want to answer. No, it's, it's perfectly fine. Honestly, I always have to go Columbus first because that is my, my hometown team. Um, and <laughs> I was a secret a season ticket holder with them for five years. So my heart will always go to them first, but it was hard because in the back of my mind, whenever Tampa's scoring, you know, I'm watching with, with my friends and I just want to celebrate, but I don't, <laughs> it's so hard to, because they're sad because they're invested in the one team and I'm kind of divided allegiances. So it yeah. was a little difficult. 
Well, I mean, I think Columbus, you know, we've talked about them on the show. Columbus is is poised. I mean, Wierenski, Seth Jones, that's uh, that's a Chris Pronger, Scott Niedermeyer type uh, 07 Ducks pairing for Columbus. And then the goaltending seems to be pretty much sorted out. I mean, you lose a Vesna winner, but, you know, two young goalies come in, step up. They, they played great. And uh, out here in Vancouver, we didn't really have a, a good experience with John Tortorella, but he seems to have turned it around quite a bit in Columbus. The evolution of Tortorella has been amazing to watch. And it's so funny going on social media and seeing people's opinions of him because in that, in this past postseason, he got on Dubois a lot. I mean, you saw him kind of yelling at him on the bench <laughs> and people were just going, oh, well, that's that's the old torts. That's the torts we know. We know how he's going to be, you know, in the post game and all this stuff. But I've actually had the the honor of meeting him kind of off the clock, per se, um, just kind of out in public. And he has always been just the absolute nicest, humblest, gracious person. So it's it's kind of funny to, to see how people talk about him. It's like, well, that's not my full experience with him. I mean, he knows how to get the best out of his players. He knows what, what makes them tick, and he wants them to succeed. So if that's what it takes, he's not afraid to do it. Yeah, there were, and I I mean, Twitter is just sometimes can be the funniest place to read hot takes, but there were people after that clip came out of him yelling at Dubois that people were saying, oh my God, that Dubois is going to pull up Patrick Waugh, he's going to demand a trade, you know, right after this game. And I just thought, man, Tortorella, I think is almost like a TV character in a way when he's got the cameras on him, right? He, he kind of knows how to take the heat off of his guys. And then I feel like you said, off the clock, I'm sure he's a completely different guy. Yeah, I would agree with that statement 100%. Completely different guy off the clock. <laughs> now, you uh, you covered the Cleveland Monsters in the American League. Uh, talk about how you landed that job. Well, um, whenever I came on with, with the Sinbin, I kind of had a choice. Um, they were hoping to grow their American Hockey League coverage, um, but they also cover you know, ECHL, SPHL, they, you know, they cover more minor league hockey leagues than just EA. So they kind of gave me a choice because I'm located in, in Columbus. So I'm kind of a nice little central point between the Monsters, the Toledo Walleye, and the Cincinnati Cyclones. It's just, you know, a nice little spoke of the wheel. And they basically said, whichever team you want, just let us know. And I... You know, I sat down, I thought about it, and I had to go with the Cleveland Monsters because, you know, being a season ticket holder for the Jackets and also covering the the Columbus Blue Jackets, I knew that organization better. I knew some of the players a little bit more. So I just kind of jumped into that. And luckily, right away, the the organization welcomed me in. Um, They allowed me to sit on press row, get in on on the interviews, and it was just a... of a, a, a seamless transition and was this your this was your first season covering uh, Cleveland yes my very first season and my first season actually getting press press credentials so it was a big year for me personally and I mean it was unconventional too I mean the season just kind of on a dime was canceled uh, where were you when you found out that the AHL was shutting down I was actually sitting at home um, on discord discussing with my my head editor and a few of the 
the other AHL writers um, trying to figure out what we're going to do, how we're going to cover this. Um, because at that time we had been told, well, we're going to keep going just with no fans. Okay. So we were trying to figure out a game plan with that. And then next thing we know, it gets changed on a dime. They're saying, okay, the, the AHL is completely done for the season. So that was a, a, a bit of a shock um, for <laughs> all of us. Needless to say, um, I definitely would have done things a lot different had I known that the last game I was in Cleveland for was going to be the last game. Because yeah. <laughs> I thought we had another month or, or, or so left of the season. But yeah, it was a bit of a shock. Oh, I think everybody was sort of like, oh my gosh, you know, I mean, the, I was watching the NBA. Well, I was going to watch the NBA and then the game out here on the West Coast, they were like, yeah, we're not playing. And next thing you know, it was the NHL's on, on pause. It was just chaos. Um, but I mean, looking at that Cleveland lineup, uh, you know, they, they've got some players on that. Nathan Gerby, longtime Blue Jacket, played 30 games. Uh, Marco Dano, former first round pick as well. Um, how was the team doing overall? And were there any guys that jumped out to you as maybe future Blue Jackets? Well, um, the team was very fascinating to watch this past season as it's been pretty well documented. The Blue Jackets were absolutely decimated by, by injuries most of the season. So, of course, that trickles down into the, the, the Cleveland Monsters. So we got to see some of the young talent actually go up into the Blue Jackets and play. I mean, like you said, Nathan Gerby, he's a veteran in both leagues. He did fantastic. I mean, he was a, a, a really nice cornerstone in playing key minute for the Blue Jackets. We also got to see guys like Stefan Mateau, who started the season on a AHL-only deal, actually get signed in the middle of the season to a two-way deal with the Blue Jackets. He played some amazing minutes, was one of the, the Black Aces that got called up into the bubble in, in Toronto. And then in, in goal, you had guys like Matisse Keith-Lennox that whenever Jonas Corposalo went down for that long time with, with his knee injury, he came up, played, you know, I believe it was like six games or something like that. I mean, he did a wonderful job. And it just it just proves there is some depth there. So those guys were amazing. Andrew Peak, young defender, rookie year out of no, uh, University of Notre Dame, is definitely proved that he can be a big backstop on the defensive end. Yeah, and I'm looking at the uh, the goaltenders that suited up for Cleveland, and it is it is just a straight up. Like, I'll give you 10 bucks if you can pronounce every single guy's name. The only one I'm looking at is Brad Thiessen, who seems to be the only guy I can actually say. Yes. Um, but uh, it seems like there's they love the Latvian and Finnish goaltenders down there in Cleveland. Well, I think a lot of that goes towards uh, Columbus's GM, uh, Jarmo Kekalainen. He's mm-hmm. got a lot, of, a lot of great insight when it comes to the, the European players. So, I mean, as, as you look just up and down their, their lineup, the whole organization is starting to get more and more European players in there. And, yeah, I mean, in the organization, you've got two, two Latvian goaltenders. <laughs> I mean, and they both were wonderful this, this past season. I think they exceeded expectations, to be sure. 
Has there been any talk, at least from what you've heard, about the AHL moving forward? Because with the NHL, we haven't really heard of a, a specific start time. And, and I, I mean, even just up here in Canada, they're talking about maybe setting up almost like a baseball-type series for the teams to play in a bubble. The AHL is a different monster altogether. And uh, I'm just wondering if you've heard of anything as far as suggestions, how they're going to somehow get the, the league up and running. Well, up until the last couple of days, um, the date that I kept hearing was December 4th. However, within the last uh, couple of days, it came out that the owner of the Syracuse Crunch was on a Zoom media call. And now he's saying that that is way too optimistic. And now they're looking into February and then playing through the summer. Um, one thing to remember with the AHL as with most professional sports leagues here in North America, you've got the border and immigration issues to to work out. You're dealing with so many different um, jurisdictions in terms of um, how they're regulating travel, how you know how they're regulating group size, and will sports even be allowed to be played? So, I mean, right. Right now, the latest I've heard is February, but again, that could all change. Yeah, and it's such a gate-driven league, too. I mean, they got to figure out something to bring in the revenues as well, I would imagine. Exactly. That's going to be the the hardest thing because, I mean, you have some jurisdictions that are saying, okay, we're not allowing fans at all. You have some that are saying 50% or some other percentage. And for, for some teams, that's going to be harder than others because, I mean – you still got to pay people, even if you only have, even if you can only sell half of, of of your normal gate tickets. So it's going to be. I, I'm not sure how they're going to to pull it off, but I hope they can, because I mean it's such an important developmental league for the AHL, and then I mean some players that is their their entire lives. You, you know that is what they they rely on for their income to provide for their families. So, yeah. I mean, and same with, with say like concession workers and other people that, that work in the arena, you know, that is their life. So I'm not sure how they're going to do it, but I hope for the sake of, of everybody, they can find a way to have the season and do it safely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the, they're the, un, they're, I don't want to say the unspoken, they're the forgotten people in all this is just, yeah, the, the, the arena workers, uh, concession you know the, the people selling 50 50 i mean out, out here in vancouver i know that was that was actually something I, th- I think they were all looked after and we don't have an ahl team out our way but for the uh for the nhl i mean there is some some money for the bigger teams that they can afford to just pay their people in the interim but uh definitely for the the ahl on down it's going to be tough um i guess you know jumping back into the nhl just Briefly here, uh, Tampa wins the cup. Columbus, uh, I think, is is trending up. As I said, um, where do you see those two teams moving forward? I mean, let's start with Tampa because they've got some some cap issues coming up. They've got Sorelli; they need to sign. Sergachev looks like he's going to be probably like a maybe seven million dollar player <laughs> coming up. And uh, and so, what do you think is in the future for Tampa now? Well, uh, that's the big question, isn't it? Uh, that with that cap space being flat, you know, of course they signed, I think it was, I mean, even though it was a little low cap hit, you know, I believe like Maroon mm-hmm. was a one-year deal. They have some, some expiring contracts, but still Sergachev is going to demand 
big money on his 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 next contract that is going to be no surprise to anybody i mean eventually they're going to have to look at maybe say like a tyler johnson and alex Kalorn. they're going to have to look at maybe moving pieces like that where they can easily plug in younger guys that that are coming up yeah yeah i've we, we've heard tyler johnson on the block now for <laughs> seems like forever right right i I mean, he is, as much as I like him as a player, he is definitely somebody that can be a little bit more expendable, especially looking at the depth in in their entire organization. I mean, Syracuse always seems to do well um, in the AHL, so they've definitely got talent, um, but they're going to have to make some really hard decisions in the next couple seasons. And what about Columbus? Uh, I mean, Pierre-Luc Dubois looks like this playoff was kind of a coming out for him uh, as well. I mean, they've got, uh, you know, a guy like Wenberg, who, uh, again, uh, from what I've heard anyways up here up north, is that he's maybe going to be dangled in a trade. But, I mean, for Columbus, they've I, th- I think they've got the right pieces. Do you think there's going to be any moves coming from the Blue Jackets? Well, they definitely need offensive help. Um, of course, Last season, you know, or the season before, I guess that now, um, you know, losing Artemi Panarin, even though Matt Duchesne wasn't here for a long time, losing him, you know, that definitely left some some holes on the offensive lines. And while we have potential goal scorers in Oliver Bjorkstrand and Cam Atkinson, they definitely need pieces to feed them the, the puck. They need people that can go out and score. Um, is that piece in the organization? I don't know. Uh, it could be Liam Foody. It could be somebody like Kevin Stenlin that's been with, with the team a few seasons now and that's really starting to rise up in the ranks. But I could definitely see Columbus trading possibly some of their defensive depth um, or possibly their goalie depth, which is very deep right now, um, even with, <laughs> with players that aren't even in North America yet. Um, they have a, a young Russian goaltender, Daniel Tarasov, that looks very promising and looks to make the jump over to North America very soon. So I have a feeling one of those pieces, exactly who, I don't know, but I would not be surprised to see some of those pieces moved to try to bring in a, a natural goal scorer. What do you think happens with Josh Anderson? This guy's an RFA. He's, I mean, he's scored 27 goals two seasons ago, and he's kind of like a Tom Wilson light in a way, but there's been all kinds of injuries with him. I mean, do you think that he's going to be a Blue Jacket next year? I certainly hope so. Um, I would love to see him maybe sign a prove-it-to-me contract. You know, we've seen Ryan Murray sign that that type of contract because he has been very injury-prone over his career. I would not mind see, seeing him just, okay, one year, I'm going to show you what I have. Hopefully, with all this time off, he's been able to, to recuperate, to recover, and get back to 100%. Um, but I also would not be surprised if, if he gets used in a trade to trade his his rights away to get a bigger offensive piece. Would I prefer that he stays with the Blue Jackets? Yes, but again, I would not be surprised if he isn't used as as trade bait. 
Absolutely. Well, Dina, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, I mean, why don't you just let people know where they can connect with you on whether it's Twitter through your, uh, you know, where, where are you writing at? Okay, you can connect with me on Twitter at my username is at SinBinMonsters, or you can find uh, myself and my fellow writers at thesinbin.net. Awesome stuff. All right, everybody. Well, again, Dina, thank you for coming on. And from all of us at Hockey Minute, thanks for tuning in. We'd like to take a second to thank you, the listener, for joining us. And a big thanks goes to our writers and production team, Jules, Mark, and Matt. We can do this without you. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at The Hockey Minute, as well as leaving voicemails on our anchor page, at Hockey Minute. And always make sure to subscribe to whichever platform you listen to your podcast. That's going to do it for us. This is Brandon and Ryan. We'll talk to you next time on The Hockey Minute. Yeah, that's that's one thing I don't miss about live radio is whenever you do get tongue tied, it's like everybody hears it. So, yeah, that's the nice thing about podcasts. You can go back in a little bit of creative editing. All right. We're good to go.